This past Sunday was the Holy Super Bowl in Tampa, Florida. Two days before, in a suburb next to Tampa, a suburb of Tampa in Oldsmar, it's called, somebody was sitting, the technician was in, was in charge of the water supply in this city in Oldsmar, was sitting in front of the computer and he saw how his mouse is moving by itself. The mouse and the computer is moving. That's not such an uncommon thing that now during COVID that people work from home, that they also go remote on the computers. But he saw how the, computer, the mouse is moving and he's, too, and he's changing something in the program. There is a type of sodium that you put in the water to clean the water. It's called also lye, L-Y-E, I think. And this sodium, he put a little bit to clean the water. This guy on the computer and the mouse from, from, from somewhere else was changing it a hundred times more. He looked over it, he knew right away something is wrong. He changed it back to the right amount and he reported to the police. They involved the FBI. Someone from somewhere wanted right before the Super Bowl to contaminate the water, to poison the water around Tampa. They don't know who did it. The mayor went on the news and, the, and he said that there is enough uh, sensors on the computer that even if this, even this technician who saw it in front of the computer wouldn't catch the mistake, the computer itself would sense that the water, something is, that the, something is wrong with the water and they would uh, send wake up calls to everybody to, to do something about it. I would turn an alarm. In addition, he said something, I don't know, he said it takes a day after, until the water comes to the customers. But in any case, he started a big investigation to find out who had the interest to change the water. In April, in the past April, was a similar thing in Israel. Hackers controlled, was an, a cyber attack on the computers and they, who controlled the water in Israel, I think in five places, from the north to the south, mainly the north, but also in the south. And there they tried to make the computers put more chlorine in the water, much more. And just like here, if, they, if people would drink the, the lye, the sodium, they would get burns and would cause a lot of trouble. There too, it would be chlorine and this amount that they wanted to put in would poison the water. There too, Israelis caught it right in the beginning and an investigation was launched. They went after who did it and they, it came all the way to Iran. The Iranians were going through servers to American and European servers in a way to hide the code that you shouldn't be able to find who did it, but the Israelis together with other uh, agencies were able to figure this out that came from Iran and they warned the Iranians of, of doing it by attacking the Iran systems of a port city also in a way to tell them that we know about it. I know the newspaper writes that the Israelis are also involved with the investigation in Tampa. 
Jews suffered on such things, but always on the other side. Usually Jewish people were accused for poisoning the water. As close as 2016, Abu Mazen, the head of the Palestinian Authority, he was standing in the, Europe, in the European Parliament and accusing the settlers that the rabbis told them to poison the Palestinian water. It was an uproar. Bring the proofs. Who said that we what? He couldn't prove anything. That you issue an apology that this is not true. And he didn't know that. It was he heard about that. And he has nothing against the Jews. But he was not the first one to, to accuse Jews of poisoning the water. It goes all the way back to 1350, to the Black Plague, where the Jews in Europe were accused they are poisoning the water to get rid of the Krishnas. And even that the Pope himself issued twice a statement that this is not true, the Jews don't do it. It's a punishment from God, it didn't help him. It helped in Italy because the church was in control in Italy. They didn't touch the Jews there. At least it's not recorded in a big way for sure not. But in Germany, in France, and in Switzerland, Jews were tortured, murdered, burned, terrible, those terrible di disasters, tragedies. Hundreds and maybe even thousands of Jews were, were killed and, and uh, murdered because of the accusation that they are po poisoning the water. And even the Pope said it's not true, it didn't happen anything. The news spread and finished. In Judaism, we know that everything that's in the physical world must be in the spiritual world. If there is water in the physical world, there is spiritual water. What is the spiritual water? The prophet Isaiah told us. The prophet Isaiah says, any, makes an announcement. Anybody who is thirsty should go, to, should go drink water. Then the commentators ask, what is this? What kind of a question? What kind of a statement is it? Anybody who is thirsty should go to drink water. Do I have to tell somebody who is thirsty to drink water? Every baby knows it. Will go by himself. The prophet was speaking about the Torah. Anybody who is thirsty, thirsty to spirituality should go to drink from the water of the Torah. Why is the water of the Torah? Why is the Torah compared to water? Just as water comes from above, they go down, rain comes, and the gravity always goes lower and lower and lower. So to the Torah came from God. God came down to Mount Sinai and he, and he gave us the Torah and, and, and down and down and brought the, the Torah down to earth, to us, to regular human beings. And because the Torah is compared to water, there is a practical a side to a law to it connected. We have a tradition started all the way from Moses. Then we read the Torah in the synagogues three times a week. We read the Torah on Shabbat. We read the Torah on Monday, and then again on Thursday. Every three days. The Talmud tells us why. Because Moses saw that it's written right after the splitting of the sea. We read it two weeks ago. The Jewish people walk three days without water and they complain to God. And Moses saw the, the people without water for three days doesn't work. So to Jewish people without Torah for three days, 
they get weary and they start to complain. He, may, he, he established the tradition that every three days Jewish people read from the Torah. A Jew without the Torah is like a man without water. And the Medrash says it actually in many ways. The Medrash says just as a, as the, as a, as a person, just as the water is unlimited, never ends, so to the Torah. No matter how much Torah you learn, the greatest scholar in the world will never be enough. Just as water, the most important person has no problem to ask him a little child, give me a cup of water, and I'm thirsty. He's not embarrassed about it. So to the greatest scholar, should not be embarrassed to ask him, to ask him anyone, teach me some Torah. I just heard not long ago about a great rabbi that he asked, used to ask his disciples, teach me something new. I don't know it. Teach me something that I don't know. Because whatever I know, I know. I, don't, I want to learn something new. There is other examples how the, water is like the, how the Torah is like water. The, the water in the mikveh purifies a person. The Torah purifies us. Just as water is for free, so to the Torah God gave us that for free. Today, water is not for free. Actually, today, water is probably more expensive than Torah. Uh, we have to make the Torah a little more expensive. But it's available for everyone. Rabbi Akiva gave us the most beautiful examples of how the Torah is compared to water. There is a story about Rabbi Akiva. He was a young, when he was four years old, and he married Rachel, the daughter of the richest man of Jerusalem. And she married him. It's a whole long story. She married him with the condition that he will go to learn Torah. He went to school with his boy when his boy turned five years old, four years old, and he wasn't able to get it. He wasn't able to understand anything. He could, even he was a smart man, something didn't click. And we, he was almost about to give up. And he walked on the street and he saw how water is dripping on a rock. And the, the drops of water, even if small drops, eventually they make a hole in the rock. And he thought to himself, if the water can make a hole in the rock, why should the water of the Torah not be able to make a hole in my rock? Right here. He says, I will for sure, if I will be consistent, I will be able to learn. And he became one of the greatest scholars, the greatest rabbis that the Jewish people ever produced. And if the connection between him and the water is also by the end of his life. By the end of his life, the Talmud tells us, it was the time of the Roman decrees against learning Torah. Anybody who is going to learn Torah will be executed. Everybody is going to teach Torah in public will be executed. That another man asked them, Papus, according to some commentators, was another rabbi, told them, why are you teaching Torah? They will inform on you, you'll be killed. He gave him a whole example about from the fox and the fish. Once the fox saw the fish running away from the fisherman, that he told the fish, come with me to my cave, nobody will bother you. And the fish told them, if you are, the fox is considered the most conniving animal, you're considered smart. If I'm in the water, maybe I will be caught by the fishermen, maybe I'll survive. If I'm outside of the water, I will never survive. And Rabbi Akiva turned to Papus and he told him like this, the Torah to a Jew is like water. If I teach Torah, maybe I'll survive from the Romans, maybe I'll not. If I don't teach Torah, I'm dead. 
I have no meaning to life. Hasidus comes and teaches us that the, the, if the Torah is compared to water, that's the Talmud. Kabbalah and Hasidus is compared to wine. What's the difference in water and wine? Water you drink only when you're thirsty. Water does not have a taste. There is some more pleasant water, some less, but water does not have a taste. Wine is tasteful. Wine gives you excitement. The laws of the Torah are compared to water. You drink it. It's the word, words of God. You learn it. But not always are they are tasteful. Not always you understand the meaning of it. Not only is the, although you see it's relevant to, to your life. Kabbalah and Hasidus is compared to wine. And just like the wine, you have to squeeze it out of the grape. So too, Kabbalah and Hasidus, you have to squeeze it out. You have to dig a little deeper to find out the meaning of the, of the, of the law. And I will give you one example from the parsha of this week. This parsha is parshat Mishpatim. In the beginning of the Torah, we read about, of the parsha, we read about the laws of slaves, servants. Now, right away, here's the word slaves in America. Things about American slaves, they were kidnapped from Africa, insulted and forced and tortured. By the Torah, in the same parsha, in this parsha, it's also written, if you, if you kidnap a person and you sell them, you deserve that. You're not allowed to do it. The slavery that the Torah is speaking about is somebody who slaves himself, who sells himself willingly. He's looking for a foster home. Somebody to adapt him. He's homeless. He wants to live in somebody's house. He says, buy me as a slave and take care of me. This kind of slavery was allowed in biblical times. But today, it's already for 2,000 years. Even this is not practiced. Since we don't have a temple, this is not practiced. More than 2,000 years. Or around 2,000 years. Then the question is, a person learns, comes to shul, he listens to the Torah reading. Many times people told me, you know, the first few pages are completely not relevant. What does this mean to me? We don't have slaves. We don't sell slaves. We don't buy slaves. What does this have to do with me? What is the message to me? I'm coming to synagogue to learn something to take home, to take for the week. Here comes Hasidus and teaches us something very interesting. The message is, the servant that the Torah is talking is about me and you. When God took the Jews out of Egypt, he says, I took you out from a house of slavery. You should be my servant. Avada, avoda I am. You are my servant, God says. What means to be a servant of God? What is a servant? A servant wakes up in the morning. He does not have his own agenda. He asks his, his master, what the master wants, wants for me to do today? He doesn't say, oh, I want to go to this trip and I have a bucket list and I want to do this. He's asking what God, what is the master wants from him? God is expecting of a Jew to be a servant of God. We should wake up in the morning, we ask ourselves what God wants for me to do, what wants for me to do today. Now, many times people tell me, oh, I planned a trip, it's around Passover. I didn't realize it's Passover. Oh, it got Passover this year is so early. It got, I got stuck with Passover. Sometimes they plan another cruise. Passover is too late. Yom Kippur is too early. The holidays, for some reason in America, are never on time. They are too early. They are too late. They are never good. 
A servant of God on the, on the most simple level means before you make your calendar, before you plan, you plan your next vacation, before you plan your, your calendar, you open the Jewish calendar and you look when it's Purim and where is Pesach. And don't get stuck with God. Make God's agenda your agenda. That means to be a servant of God. And when you make God's agenda your agenda, God will make your agenda his agenda. When you ask for him something, he will make it as his agenda. He will make sure you being, your, your request are being answered measure for measure. 